Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Forgetting Sarah Marshall. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed without having seen the film, you should be aware that there are some light plot spoilers. Enjoy. Hello. Good evening. What was that rustling I just heard? <laughs> I was literally going to start by apologising for the rustling, but you've all, you're already giving me a hard time about it. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've, um, I have obtained from the co-op where they were on offer, I think two for a pound, um, a bag of Maltesers Malt Easter Mini Bunnies. Are you aware of these? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. They're very, very good. And I was just about to eat one. I'm eating um, it right now. That, that's all right. There's going to be some rustling on my end as well because the cat is in a stalking around and jumping on incredibly loud things mood at the moment. Um, so basically the, the cat is being a cat. The cat is being a cat, but especially cat-like in comparison to her normal catness. Um, yeah, she's clearly... I'm home alone tonight, so clearly she has decided to take it out on me that there's, that there's not two parental figures around. Can you so see her? The, Oh, yeah. Hello, Minnie. It's Home Alone 3, Lost with the Cat. How many Home Alone... Was there four Home Alone films in the end? I think there are about eight or nine, because Daniel Stern, who played Marv, he seems like the kind of guy... Apparently, he's the only one who like is in every single Home Alone film. And he seems like the kind of guy who gets an idea and then runs with it and beats it to death. Can you see this, by the way? <laughs> Oh, she's gone. I can. The cat, you were trying to type and the cat was literally like on your elbow where you were trying to move your elbow. She is uh, actually trying to disconnect my microphone. That's actually what she was trying to do. It's incredible. (laughs) So you got cat rustling. But to be fair, one of the episodes you recorded over Christmas where you were at your parents' house had a lot of dog barking in it as well. It did, yeah. I I couldn't edit all of it out. I edited out most of it, but there's still some, some jowly barking in there. So if people... If people think of us as a dog and cat noises podcast, then that's okay. You know, just think of it as Nothing being ASMR. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, awesome sounds, Mister. <laughs> that's what it stands for. Have you experienced any any tingling or whatever when you watch an ASMR video? It's not something I've explored much, but I'm intrigued by the concept. No, I kind of I tried it out and was quite unnerved and was like, oh, I'm done. My my YouTube is generally watching philosophy videos, big breakdowns of video games, and idiots playing video games. And those are like <laughs> those are the main things I watch YouTube for. Isn't that top that's top YouTube content. That's what most it people is, watch yeah. go on YouTube to watch other people play video games, right? That's how it works. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah, everybody loves the let's play scene, apart from the racist let's players. Um, nobody likes which them. is I imagine most of them well I know uh, nothing. The, the problem is actually that a lot of people quite like the the racist let's players um, but not all of them are there's some good ones out there there's only a handful that are genuinely <clears throat> is it all the awful. kind of people who defended Pewds' right to say the n-word 
<laughs> no, I'm talking about the people that genuinely are you like into eugenics and things like that. <laughs> There's a few oh, that right. are like that. PewDiePie is one of the milder ones uh, when it comes to ideas. PewDiePie is basically just like an idiot who said something stupid that he shouldn't have said. And the fact that he has that as kind of like a go-to insult is worrying in itself, but I don't necessarily believe that he's a genuine racist. Um, yeah, he's just are, a massive fool. Whereas there are some literal Nazis on YouTube. Um, and they're playing games. And some of them are playing games. Some of them do playing games alongside making outrage videos where they get really offended by mild left-wing videos that have been put elsewhere um, and basically just start shouting at teenagers online and say this is the worst thing ever generation snowflake as i cry like, um, over a youtube video <laughs> our favorite guy prison planet yeah exactly i mean prison prison planet um what's his name in real <laughs> paul life joseph watson paul joseph watson prison it's literally joseph the most watson. boring name that anyone could think of and it's most... kind of like how um you know bono's real name is paul something and the edge's real name is dave evans it's kind of like that are you suggesting that prison planet is part of you too paddy <laughs> that or or vice versa that you too are part of prison planet it's actually bono in a mask <laughs> But I mean, what what I find incredibly funny is that those kind of, of right wingers are the kind that like you need to get the smelling salts out for them if someone wishes them happy holidays. That's how outraged they are by the mildest of things. And I They're think furious. like if, if anyone's going to be called like a snowflake, it's got to be those guys, right? The people who yeah. have something nice said to them and then they get offended by it. Yeah, or the kind of people who, as in recent news, genuinely believe that Virgin Trains' decision not to sell the Daily Mail in its its on-cabin newspaper shop that sells about only about four things in the first place is a huge attack on free speech. Or the kind of people yeah. who willfully misunderstand the quite obvious and easy-to-understand concept of censorship to suit their own dastardly and stupid ends. Well, it's, it's censorship when a small shop doesn't sell a newspaper that you can access online, um, that you can even access on the train that you're on online by buying their Wi-Fi package. Um, that's censorship. <laughs> that, yeah. that's, that's the most censorship I've ever heard in my life. If you remove anyone's chance to consume some hot garbage, that's censorship. Yeah, th th this this garbage is available freely in various formats. You can read the garbage, or you can go on your phone and look at the garbage. Um, however, the fact that this enterprise has decided not to sell this garbage, this particular brand of awful garbage, <laughs> um, in its shop, in comparison to other newspapers that aren't dismissed by Wikipedia as not an actual source, um, <laughs> that's censorship. Yeah, rather than it... Censorship isn't to do with, you know, like, the, the government stopping you from saying things or whatever. It's a retroactive thing that means any time anyone says that you can't say or publish stupid, horrible, right-wing shit. Cens censorship only affects um, people who say right-wing things. Um, when, yeah. when, for instance, the US government tries to ban the use of words like science and abortion in, in, in papers... That's not censorship. Yeah. Um, when a huge group of people um, in a hate mob online 
target female game developers and journalists um, and forces them out of their industry, that's not censorship either. That is no. the epitome of free speech. But it um, is censorship if the person on the receiving end of that is Toby Young. Yes, then it's censorship. When someone rightly calls out the fact that he was attending a eugenics... Uh, what was it? A eugenics uh, seminar or... A conference. A conference, yeah, yeah. It was a whole conference, wasn't it? It's like, mm, yeah. yeah. That, that censorship is suggesting that someone who holds a publicly appointed position... Um, should be held accountable for their actions and their words and their opinions and their philosophies. That's yeah. that's censorship, Paddy. <laughs> that is censorship. Yeah, you're stopping a classy gentleman with a lot of great things to do with school, like believing that schools should be completely unaccountable and that you should be able to teach children any old fucking nonsense free from the burdens of qualification or you know regulation or anything or whatever. That censorship. I'm just saying, Paddy, that this young 50-something-year-old sprightly <laughs> lad, you know, he's got time on his side to think about these opinions. And, you know, you can't just criticise someone for suggesting that uh, disabled ramps to help people in wheelchairs is PC gone mad and that they should all be abolished. You know, that's a, that's a legitimate opinion that has to be recognised. Both sides yeah. are right, you know. Uh, you've got yeah. the people who want there to be wheelchair ramps. You've got the people who don't want there to be wheelchair ramps. So what you need to do is you need to smash up half of every single wheelchair ramp because that's how <laughs> debate works. There's yeah. always a middle ground. It's, it's important to listen to the views of stupid Nazis, even if you don't agree with them. Yeah, what can possibly go wrong by giving stupid idiots <laughs> with terrible opinions a platform? I don't know. Maybe we could end up leaving the European Union. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I did actually have a link from Toby Young to this week's film, believe it or not. Oh, really? Which is that. I, mean, I thought of while I was watching the film, which I enjoyed, by the way. But I, um, Toby Young used the word sophomoric to describe some misogynistic tweets that he did while he was in his 40s. And I thought, sophomoric is also a word I would use to describe the film Forgetting Sarah Marshall, this week's film. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I'm digging that. I can see the link. Yeah. So I think I watched this film when it came out, which was 2008, but I don't think I saw it in the cinema. I think I definitely remember watching it at some point with Rob Sherman, um, and laughing very, very, very hard at the Dracula musical parts. <laughs> yeah. For the next couple of days after, like, catching each other and going, die, 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 and singing to each other in the Dracula voice, which is always very, very amusing. <laughs> it is always excellent. But I hadn't watched it since then, so it was it was kind of nice to see. It was, um, I had it, I sort of had it on in the background while I was building a wardrobe, so I apologise if, <laughs> if there are gaps in where I, I missed things or if, if I forgot that certain things happened in it. But again, it was a surprisingly long film. I think it was more or less the same length as Love and Other Drugs, which clocks in at about 1 hour 50. Um, and for a, a quite silly and puerile romantic comedy, that's actually quite long. So by the time it winds up, you're like, yeah, okay, I'm ready for this to end now. But it was still enjoyable. Yeah, it's it's got more of a sort of meandering feel to it than quite a lot of the movies of its ilk. Whereas a lot of these Judd Apatow movies, they've got a very sort of like punchy 
feel to it. So even though a lot of the the scenes go on quite a while in that style of comedy, um, they still feel very focused. Whereas this one, it feels much more sort of like introspective, I suppose. Um, There's moments of real sort of like loneliness in it. Um, And sort of like the, the, the moments of isolation and misunderstanding that you don't necessarily have in some of the other ones. It's not quite as much of a laugh riot as as some of the other films that come from this studio. No, it's um it's an Apato production, but Jason Siegel wrote it, and I don't think I clocked that at the time. But it's seen as um kind of his big breakthrough as well, as well as some of the other the other people in it, like Mila Kunis, um Kristen Bell, they weren't as big then as they are now. So it can be credited with a lot of that stuff as well. But Jason Siegel I think seems like a really cool and intelligent guy. Um, you know, he's got like a, a sort of dystopian young adult novel out at the moment that looks really good. And he also, oh, cool. a year or two ago, played David Foster Wallace in the film The End of the Tour. Did you see that? I didn't, no. It's him and uh, Jesse Eisenberg, who plays a journalist called David Lipsky. And it's based on a book um, where David Lipsky was hired by Rolling Stone to basically just follow David Foster Wallace around Um on the, the book tour for Infinite Jest, and it's just basically kind of a recounting of all the weird conversations that they had and stuff, and it's a bit kind of pretentious white boy literary you know, thing, you know, follow around this supposedly literary juggernaut, and there's, it is slightly pretentious, but it's a really interesting film and a really interesting book, um, and even if you haven't read Infinite Jest, then I think you could, you'd still find it interesting. It maybe contains a couple of plot spoilers for Infinite Jest, but... I don't think it would really change your reading of Infinite Jest because it's such a big and impenetrable book. I prefer the sequel, which is all about uh, making clothes, making everlasting clothes. Uh, Infinite, Infinite Vest. Vest. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with Infinite Chest, <laughs> which is what Toby Young would have done. That's what he would have done um, because he's yeah. a sleazy bastard and we hate him. Yeah. We hate you, Toby. You give Toby's no, everywhere a bad name. You certainly do. No, I prefer the um, the one where there's someone staying in my house and they won't leave. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer the one about the creepy pseudo-celebrity um, that is uh, living forever as an immortal, um, infinite David Guest. <laughs> That would be only half as funny if David Guest wasn't dead. <laughs> I know, right? God rest his soul. Um, just, uh, every time I think about David Guest, I'm reminded that um, on a quite early episode of Charlie Brooker's Scream White, um, when David Guest was in the Big Brother house, Charlie Brooker, re- Charlie Brooker referred to him as a human Dolmio puppet. <laughs> really really tickled me and obviously feels quite disrespectful now that he's dead but still it makes me laugh every time i think you know there can only be so much additional respect someone earns when they die yeah this is true i I feel like if you're going to laugh at someone when they're alive you should be able to laugh at them when they're dead yes definitely and i i'll put this out on the record i don't care if people laugh at me when i'm dead I mean, yeah, I don't mean literally here. laughing at my body, but, you know. It, well, it depends on how I die. If I die in a particularly hilarious way, feel free to laugh your asses off, guys. This is true. This is true. If I'm crushed under a big pile of hot, of infinite jests, you can laugh at that. <laughs> An infinite pile of infinite jests. Oh, that's a good, that's a, that's a good meta joke. So um, okay, I've, got a, I've got a philosophical question for you, Paddy. 
if you dropped an infinite pile of infinite jests into a bottomless pit, would it ever fill up? Mm, I don't think so. You just have like an yeah, you'd have a never-ending cycle of books falling through an, space, an endless loop of falling books. Yeah, that'd be quite cool to watch. I, yeah, that that would be an excellent '90s screensaver, wouldn't it? <laughs> Falling yeah. Copies of Infinite Jest falling down a hole because <laughs> it came out in what, like ninety six, didn't it? Ninety six, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, drop it, drop, drop those yeah. books. Horrible yeah. pixelated three D versions <laughs> of Infinite Jest falling through a <laughs> hole. Have you read it? No, no, I haven't. I, I do actually highly recommend it. It is a really incredible book and a great satire on entertainment and culture and everything. I know that it's become the kind of ultimate sig- signifier of white boy literary pretentiousness, but it is genuinely a very, very good book. As someone um, who, who generally reads Vonnegut a lot, I'm all right with literary white boy pretentiousness. So Exactly. Yeah. I think if, if you like Vonnegut, you can get behind Wallace for sure. God yeah, it's, it's one of it's, well. it's one of those things that I've always meant to pick up and read, but every so but like I take a look at it and I'm like, mm, do I really want to read this right now when I could be reading, I don't know, some silly fantasy book? Yeah. What are you reading right now? At the moment, I'm actually rereading um, Slaughterhouse Five. Mm. Um, and, Excellent book. Uh, after that, I don't know what I'm going to read. Um, I was thinking of rereading Altered Carbon which is a um, a sci-fi novel by a writer called Richard Morgan, uh, because it's being turned into a uh, Netflix original series. Um, and I'm kind of... I haven't read it in many, many years, and I'm kind of tempted to reread it before the series comes out. But we'll see whether I get around to it. That's always a very good reason to reread something, isn't it? That, then, yeah. that you then engage with the thing on a, a greater level, or if there's like a sequel coming out. Like I reread the His Dark Materials trilogy last year because the new Philip Pullman was releasing what the first book in the new trilogy, and I think it did help with the new one. Although um, Philip Pullman, I think, quite graciously wrote a book that does stand alone and that you don't have to have read the original trilogy to enjoy. So hats off to Oh, him. that's good. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking of reading was I'm on to like the last couple of um, trade paperbacks of Transmetropolitan. Oh, yeah. And so I was kind of considering just getting both of those and then just powering through and reading it through to the end. Because, I'm yeah, I've only got a couple left to read. I've always meant to read that. It's very good. Very good. Possibly my favourite comic series. Just beating wow. out Saga for my wow. favourite. That's, that's quite the claim. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very funny. Absolutely hilarious. And you, I, I love dystopian sci-fi, particularly if it's, like, funny dystopian sci-fi. Yeah. Um, that kind of tongue, tongue-in-cheek satire I can always get behind. Let's think about dystopias. They are quite often quite po-faced, aren't they? Yeah, a lot of the time they're, like... I mean, the perfect example is, like, Blade Runner, I suppose, or 1984, yeah, um, and I, I, no, and I've I l- still never seen Blade Runner. Have you not? Get on it. No, watch it, and then I've watch always, the sequel. Always meant to. Yeah, and then you can agree with me that the sequel's superior to the original, and everyone can hate Ooh. you as well Ooh. as me for saying that's that. That's a that's a divisive comment. It is, but it's true. Come on, guys, take off the nostalgia goggles. <laughs> it's it's prettier. It's got a better plot, better acted. Ryan Gosling's it, it, in it. It it lacks a bit of Rutger Hauer who is by far the greatest thing about the original film. He's, um, your, he's then, our favourite 
hobo with a shotgun. <laughs> he is our favourite hobo with a shotgun, um, which is a, an incredible movie that everyone should go and see, regardless of whether they like super violent, like pastiches of 80s B-movies or not. Um, but yeah, so it, he, he has that kind of charisma and intensity that's kind of missing from the new film. Uh, there's no one that quite has that same kind of void, uh, that, that same kind of role. That's kind of a void that was never filled in the sequel. And it kind of lacks that power behind it. Right. But, it, but everything else apart the, about the sequel is a, that little bit better than the original. Cool. So, yeah, um, Jason Siegel played David Foster Wallace in that film and gave a really, really good performance, really got into the character of him and having watched, you know, videos of David Foster Wallace from that time and read a lot of David Foster Wallace's work. I feel like Siegel really, really inhabited the character in a really great way. And it really convinced me that he's not just a very, very funny comic actor, but that he's genuinely a very, very smart man. But at the same time, the jokes that he wrote in Forgetting Sarah Marshall are really puerile. Oh, there is a lot of really, really stupid humour in it. So it goes back to the point, I think I, I've said this a number of times on this podcast, that the mark of a truly serious man is someone who can occasionally chuckle at a fart joke, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and that's totally right. Is I, I think Forgetting Sarah Marshall, it kind of, it, it covers every kind of comedy here. There's like mm. uh, awkward situational comedy. Um, there's that very, it's got those fantastic sort of comedic undertones throughout it. And then it's also got the stupid slapstick stuff as well. So it's, it covers all the bases. I think there's something in here. If you're a comedy fan, there's something in here that you'll enjoy. Um, it's very different some, from some of the movies that it sort of like it sits alongside. Um, and I think it's all the better for it that it stands out that much more from the others. Yeah, definitely. There's a joke for here and you, whatever, whatever your kind of humor is. And yeah, lots of dick jokes. Lots of uh, dick jokes. I, I'm I like looking the at my notes here. Frontal and I... nudity. <laughs> in this movie there's lots of male frontal nudity there is there's a lot of bum action and peen action as well yeah it is if you, heavy on the peen if you want a bit of peen in your rom-com um then this is the film for you i suppose <laughs> yeah definitely i mean i was thinking of um the scene when Kristen Bell and Russell Brand are sort of uh, having quite loud and silly sex. It's, it's quite quick, but it did make me think of that the only film that was comparable in terms of showing that much sex in a light-hearted way that we've talked about was Friends with Benefits, which was a very, very different thing. Whereas um, this film, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, really, really made a lot of comedy out of sex. There was, it was always funny, or always that there was if there was sex going to happen, there was always going to be some joke that was. A consequence of it which i thought was quite interesting yeah it's always funny um so like the first the first instance of like a potentially sexual scene is very near the beginning when uh kristen bell's character sarah marshall comes home um and uh and <laughs> jason siegel is waiting for her and he reveals that he's naked um but then it turns out that uh he's uh, she's breaking up with him and so you've got this incredibly serious scene being played out whilst one of them is completely nude. Um, and, and there's that great line where he says, uh, like, if I go and put some clothes on, then it's going to be over. So you've got this stalemate <laughs> where he feels that if he, if he remains nude, he's going to be able to keep the relationship sort of like in stasis. 
despite the fact that it's inevitably going to end and like and that's the kind of like sorrowful but stupid uh sort of like comment that i found so endearing in this film um but then like the next time there's sex um he's kind of awkwardly met them in hawaii um and then and then he's like oh if i know if i know sarah then this has kind of ruined her day and then there's like a jump cut to the two of them having very very loud sex um there's the newlywed couple uh who are finding their feet sexually they they haven't had sex before they got married um which is really really awkward humor um and sort of like vaguely graphic conversations without showing anything graphic as well yeah it's that so, guy who always plays that kind of character whose name i can't remember i'm gonna look him up right now but he always plays the kind of christian cuck doesn't he christ cuck <laughs> the christ cuck yeah um yeah so so you've got them and then you've got um and there's, and there's a few more scenes there's two sort of like uh there's there's like the rival sex thing going on between Mila Kunis and Jason Segel and uh, Kristen Bell and Russell Brand as well, where they're both both couples are trying to be incredibly loud um, as kind of like a rivalry thing in in adjacent rooms, um, and that's that kind of again it cuts back to that very silly humour. Um, but in general, I think like none of them are kind of like overtly gratuitous and sort of like. <laughs> sex is funny kind of way they all they all kind of make more awkward humor out of it um which i think is definitely to his credit yeah it's not sniggering at it it's you it's using it to make a slapstick joke it's used as a as a comic device rather than being seen as a thing that is funny what's funny about it is that russell brand is like on his back like a crab and she's kind of basically just jumping up and down on top of him and it's really stupid but you're like hey if that if that floats your boat great yeah yeah exactly um um but yeah no and and, and it's really good I, I don't know whether we should sort of go through the the vague plot of forgetting sarah marshall yeah, uh, yeah. to our to our to our dear listeners because i don't think it's a re- it's really a plot driven film actually that all of the the plot elements are quite are quite predictable it's more kind of a, a sequence of just funny funny events with a plot that loosely hangs them all together yeah yeah for sure and like the plot sort of like the plot's there thematically the plot the plot's there to hit you in the right emotional spots between the various comedic scenes that occur and to keep you sort of like compelled along by the characters as well um and so and so what happens effectively is uh kristen bell is sarah marshall very successful tv actor um Jason Siegel is a uh, sound technician and composer for the show, and they're in this long-term relationship, um, but she breaks up with him. He does not take it well, and eventually his friend, played by Bill Hader, they have a conversation, and he decides that he's going to go on holiday, and he goes off to Hawaii. However, as luck would have it, as misfortune would have it, uh, Jason Siegel ends up at the same resort as sarah marshall alongside her new boyfriend played by russell brand so immediate hijinks in shoe i guess is the best way to describe it (laughs) and then and then there's a lot of mixture of them awkwardly trying to avoid each other him trying to sort of like 
try and pretend that he's fine but then he also meets someone on the island played by Mila Kunis and so there's this kind of self-discovery and um, self-healing alongside growing into a, a new relationship whilst also trying to overcome the um, the remnants of the old relationship um, yeah and and that's basically it isn't it it's it's growing out of a relationship that you thought was perfect to try and find something new I guess is the yeah. overarching theme of the film as the title suggests it's about getting over someone and I don't think we've actually discussed that many films where that's the case right where that even though he obviously does find the new love with Mila Kunis there's still it's mostly about him getting over her in the various stages of that which you know could end up being very very tired and cliched because of all the there I think it is covered in film occasionally quite obviously where obviously you know, he sees her with someone else. They almost get back together, but then he can't get it up. There's all this kind of stuff. They bond and they do. There are things that remind them what was good about each other, and then they have to work through that. So in a way, all of that stuff is kind of to be expected. But because it's all that's the plot, but it's but there's a lot of very very funny and silly stuff thrown on top of it. It kind of feels a bit more lighthearted and easy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, it. It's it's kind of a it's a it's a vaguely dour subject matter, I suppose. If you think about it in comparison to sort of like how it feels in the real world uh, when you're trying to get over a relationship, um, but they manage to handle it with a lot of humour and a lot of care. It's a, it's a good way to think about it. Um, but it's quite a delicate film in terms of its themes, and it quite the the fact that there's so much silly humour, it kind of works as a very good cushion. I suppose for the rest of it, cushion is a good a good way to describe it. I think, but yeah, I did I did find it interesting that it it was sort of working through those issues of a relationship rather than focusing on the chase. Although there was something of a chase element with Mila Kunis, but you always felt like they were going to get together anyway. And so actually, it, a lot of the stuff that was thrown in between the obstacles between their relationship felt a bit more artificial. Whereas there's one time where she's like, I I don't want to spoil I don't want to spoil our friendship or whatever. When you're like, there's no reason really why you guys shouldn't have a little smooch at this point because you've you've clearly had a nice night out together and you clearly like each other. And then it turns out she's got this psycho ex boyfriend, which is fun. But... Just like in real life, where everybody has a psycho ex. Um, yeah, it's that's exactly right. It's always like that. Um, I haven't told Katie about my psycho ex-boyfriend from Hawaii. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping that they'll never meet. Yeah, He likes to slap people with the fish. That's what I've heard. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And the setting of Hawaii is quite interesting as well. So I went to Hawaii on my honeymoon relatively recently last summer and it was great we had an amazing time it's a really cool place that i think everyone should visit but it's a bunch of different islands so this is based on the north shore of oahu where i did not go but apparently that's like the number one surf place and has all the best waves and stuff although they, they didn't their only concession to surfing was to have is it paul rudd who plays the yeah the sort of rubbish surfer <laughs> yeah. guy and tries to teach him to surf and there's kind of a disastrous surf lesson that was quite funny yeah, and and that's very funny, and it sort of plays off the fact that he's kind of pretending to be this surfer hippie dude, um, but he doesn't quite get it. So it's like, since I moved here, I haven't used my watch because uh, my phone's got the time on it all the time, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, which and I, he's 
quite offensively chosen uh, like native Hawaiian name for himself. Yes, yeah. So he's kind of living this fabrication of a of a traditional Hawaiian lifestyle based purely on his experiences as um, a visitor, then kind of permanently living like a like a visitor on on one of these Hawaiian islands. Yeah, it's quite a good send up of the the kind of hippie-ish white people who moved to Hawaii for that kind of lifestyle, of which they, there were there are many, I'm sure. I, I most of the people that we met, we met a lot of Americans who had moved out there from the West Coast and decided to stay because obviously it's an American state and they can they can just you know they can just move there as and when. And a few people like the guys who were my surf instructors were a bit like that, but you know the right side of it, they weren't they weren't dummies. Yeah, yeah, I, I imagine that it's kind of a, a loving pastiche to the people that live out there, as opposed to a direct comparison. Um, yeah, yeah, it definitely felt felt loving. It was, it, yeah, it was definitely, yeah, tender. The um the the one thing that I know about Hawaii that I've learned from my time writing about video games is that Hawaii's kind of in a no man's land when it comes to Pokemon Go Pokemon distribution. Ah, um, so there are there are certain Pokemon that are um, that are only available in certain regions, and so there's some that are available only in North America. However, Hawaii is not included in that. Yet it does not include any of the other special location-based Pokemon either, um, which has caused. I'm not sure whether that's still the case, but certainly when I was writing a lot about Pokemon Go, there were some very frustrated Hawaiian Pokemon Go players were very angry yeah. that they couldn't get a Tauros because it's um it's the most isolated archipelago in the world which is so it's it's really far away I mean we had to fly to LA and then it was like another six hours flight from there so a lot of the wildlife and stuff are very interesting as well there are no snakes which is good and most of the wildlife is stuff that people brought over on um on boats so when the human settlers arrived there um the only things that were like native to there were flightless birds which have obviously died out. Died out. Oh, okay, that's interesting. And a lot of the plant life and stuff has has been brought in by settlers. So before then, it was basically just flightless birds, pineapples, and coffee. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, um, I so could definitely go for that if the birds were like big, big enough to ride, like a chocobo. <laughs> that would be well, my kind of island. It's like the anti-trash island. Big flightless birds, coffee and pineapples all day. It depends on, on the temperament of of these giant flightless birds. So uh, sort of the real world examples of, of that kind of thing are generally quite livid, like the cassowary, which is yeah. unbelievably aggressive and scary uh, with big razor sharp claws on its feet and it's bigger than a man. Um, and, and, and it's one of those things where like, could you imagine if if Britain was full of giant, angry, flightless birds? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> you mean Tories? <laughs> but I, I'm not sure how our how our country would cope if suddenly there was an influx of giant, angry, flightless birds. Like our country yeah. seems to grind to a halt when there's a little bit of bad weather, let alone absolutely livid animals. I'm looking. Oh, I'm looking at pictures of cassowaries now. They basically look like furious blue painted ostriches. Yeah, imagine imagine if a peacock was on steroids and got pissed off. That's kind of what a cassowary's like. 
cross and a if peacock it was really him. like jacked yeah proper hench it's been down been down the gym a hench peacock okay there's one here that's as big as a car <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they can run it up to 50 kilometers an hour, so you're never going to outrun them. Jeez, these guys are horrible. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to um you don't want to get near one. It's, these uh, are the kind of things where that make it easy to believe that birds descended from dinosaurs. Yeah, exactly. They look like they could be a velociraptor like descendant. You could you could picture Chris Pratt running away from one in Jurassic World 5 or whatever. <laughs> Jurassic World 2, there's a big volcano for some reason. <laughs> That's the actual title. Yeah, it's not. What was it called? Forbidden something? Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet. <laughs> um, I don't know. I didn't see the first Jurassic World, but I heard it was alright. It was fine. It was, it was nowhere near as good as the original Jurassic Park. It was probably That'd not as be good very as, hard to do. Probably not as good as Jurassic Park Two. Probably better than Jurassic Park Three is where I'd put it. Yeah, Jurassic Park Three is really disappointing because they got Sam Neill back, didn't they? Yeah, but it um, still ended up being bad, which is yeah, it's, it's actually a, quite hard to do because Sam Neill is very good. It's not a good movie in the slightest, and yeah, Sam Neill is amazing. Um, I think Sam Neill's one of those people that's had a really interesting career where he's been in like some of the most prestigious big budget blockbusters of all time like Jurassic Park but then also done incredibly weird like art horror movies like Possession um and silly sci-fi horror movies like Event Horizon um he seems yeah. to just he seems to just go wherever the wind takes him and now seems to spend most of his time on a pig farm yeah, he's now become a sort of hilarious farmer who does inspirational tweets that people love. Yeah, because he's got a vineyard and a pig farm, hasn't he? Or something like yeah. that. And he, he basically just chills out and that's what he does these days, which is great. He's living his best life. Well, I love a bit of Sam Neill. Yeah. He was in the original Merlin from the 90s. Did you ever see that? Um, no, I did not see it. But That's uh, very good. But they, they kind of used that to make a series, what, about five years, five or six years ago um, with younger, younger actors. And it was actually, it wasn't bad. It had John Hurt doing the voiceover, but um, Sam Neill was not in that. It was all like young, sexy King Arthur and young, sexy Merlin being vaguely sexy in a pre-watershed way. Just showing a little bit of the top of the bum. Yeah. Just a, a little, little scrope. <laughs> a lot less nudity than um, forgetting Sarah Marshall so yeah I really like how it opens it just says the title of the film straight away forgetting Sarah Marshall done we're in and then you're immediately into a sort of funky opening song with a montage of um, Jason Siegel slobbing around and you're supposed to believe that he's like that that's supposed to tell us that he's like a man child basically and that's the problem he's he's immature and unsuccessful and whatever but it kind of makes out that he's a lot more unsuccessful than he is because i think like writing music for tv shows is actually really cool and like i would love to do that as a job it's just like they make out that because he's not doing it for big blockbuster films that he's he's like a lazy man child so that side of it his character actually isn't done that well i think but well, it's done at the it's established at the beginning anyway well i think it's it's more that um it's not 
it's not as sexy as his partner would want as opposed to it being that he's unsuccessful and that he's a man child he doesn't have that same attachment to the glamour of celebrity and the glamour of uh of the world of acting um he's quite happy just composing stuff and that's cool um yeah whereas her life revolves around um the red carpet around progressing to become a great actor in her own right moving from television to movies that kind of thing um he doesn't have the star power of russell brand playing himself yes he does he does not have the star power of russell brand as russell brand um and yeah so i think that's where it comes from as opposed to it being that he's supposed to be a slacker character in the same way that they are in um knocked up for instance it's more that he's much more homely he's much more content with his lot um and the only thing that he feels kind of um sad about he he feels unsatisfied about is the fact that he hasn't been able to pursue his artistic dreams as opposed to progressing his career any further the one thing that he would like to do is is pursue more of his artistic ideals yeah and that 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 i think is the best thread of the plot that brings it all together in quite a funny and enjoyable way at the end and that you you mostly get it communicated to you through scenes of him sitting at the piano trying to do stuff the the best of which is towards the end where he's like sitting at the piano going Peter you suck Peter you suck and like trying to sing a song to himself about how much he sucks that enjoy- yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed that because I do that sometimes if I'm trying to compose <laughs> if for me it's when I'm recording something and I make a mistake it's then like you sing along a bit calling yourself a bastard and that you're useless <laughs> Yeah, or if I'm if I'm recording something and I get really frustrated, I'll always like carry on recording and just start like doing a noise track. So I'll be playing the guitar and I'll I'll be like, "Fuck!" <laughs> yeah, that, and that, then I'll just keep it in. Um, the uh, the one the one that I I did that I was very proud of was I don't know if you remember when we made the um, Ink Stars EP. Uh, I do a, a fair few years ago. Um, I hid uh, some of a angry, angry take in one of the songs of that. <laughs> just, just like, uh, just like messed around a bit with, and then like fused it together with one of the other takes that I did, um, and and made it into one of the things. And I can't remember which song it was now, but yeah, you can hear this weird feedbacky thing going on. Um, That's in cool. One of the guitar lines. Is that online anywhere for anyone for the listeners? Yeah, or? possibly actually. I think it's still up on Bandcamp. Um, cool. Which yeah, go listen to it. It's weird, angry, post-rock, industrial stuff. That I'll we find did. it. Put it in the show notes. And some of it, yeah. some of it's very good. I think some of the yeah, some of the best stuff that I've written. I'd say definitely. There's a real, there's a very visceral energy to it, and I enjoyed playing it a lot. It's a good, ch- good chance for me to play both piano and keys. Yeah, and it was it's some of it's instrumental as well, which is nice. It's nice to mm. explore that kind of. It's a very different uh, songwriting skill to be able to to do instrumental pieces, um, which I, yeah. I very much enjoyed. But from having done that, and then looking at Jason Siegel's performance in this as a composer, you can tell I think that I don't. Did Jason Siegel write the music like for the Dracula stuff as well? He must have done. But he's really playing so. the piano and he's definitely he seems to inhabit that persona quite well. 
So I think he, I think he's a musician as well, in his own right. But I'm my, not sure. My my favorite thing of his of his composing in the movie, aside from the the Dracula musical, which I love, it's one of those, um, it's one of those musicals in a fictional reality, which I wish was real. Um, along with the Planet of the Apes musical from The Simpsons, which I still don't understand why they haven't made. <laughs> we have discussed already. Um, yeah, I wish that was real, and I wish the Dracula puppet musical from this was real. I, I want them to just get in touch with the people who did Avenue Q and be like, yeah. hey, we're making this in real life. I don't care that this movie is like 10 years old now. There's definitely going to be a demand for it. Because they show a fair amount of the Dracula puppet musical as well. Enough that you could easily pluck that and make it into a feature-length thing. Like, the the skeleton is there already. Yes, yeah, so come on, guys. Please bring us this this musical. I want it. Um, but my, my, my favourite thing, apart from that, is just after he's, uh, he's split up with Sarah Marshall, uh, he's, he's there in the, in the sound studio uh, for one of the next episodes of... What's their terrible knockoff of csi called crime scene it's just called crime scene is it it's yeah. just called crime scene which is quite a funny quite a funny joke as well yeah um and uh and yeah that's great but then there's this very dramatic scene he just starts doing like slap bass stuff over it and they're like <laughs> yeah you know you can't do that <laughs> which is really really clever because you know it's he was doing the like seinfeld style bass mm. um the the um the bass, the Slimefeld slap bass, is all done on a keyboard. It's it's keyboard bass, oh, and there's a guy. I can't remember the guy's name. He's like a famous film composer, but he got paid to do it like specifically for every single episode of Seinfeld. Like they would send him the episode, and he would score it specifically in time with the jokes and stuff, rather than them just kind of generically adding it in. He would always do like special bass takes, and I absolutely love that. There's a really cool YouTube video of him explaining it that I'll put in the show notes. Oh, that's really cool, actually. It's nice to know that but they felt had like, it all um, specific. Yeah, but I felt like um, Jason Siegel doing that was a nod to that. But yeah, the fictional, all the fictional things in Forgetting Sarah Marshall are very funny and well done. Like the um, the bits in Crime Scene. Is it Billy Baldwin? It is. It, one of, it's the one Bal- of the lesser Baldwins. It's the Baldwin which you didn't believe existed that I was telling you about. Yeah, who, I can't deny it anymore. He's kind of my favourite Baldwin, Billy Baldwin. Yeah, um, and then when there's like a there's like a newsy TV show, it's presented by the real Billy Bush, who is now famous for being the guy who Donald Trump was talking to when he said you can grab him by the pussy. So classy uh, gentleman, Billy Bush. Billy Bush, well done. Yeah, um, and then you've got the what? It, what is it where she can? She's like a dog psychic. <laughs> at the end it's her new show yeah or is it like it's a crime crime fighting dog or something I can't remember uh, after watching it I immediately had to show uh, Katie Puchinski have you have you seen Puchinski yeah yeah um, which it's, very, is, it's very good which is brilliant it's this failed TV pilot about a show where a uh, cop gets killed but his soul gets transported into the body of a dog. And then as a dog, he then has to try and solve crimes. It's basically Randall and Hopkirk deceased, but with a dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I wish it was made for real. It would have been incredible. Um, yeah. But yeah. You know, you know the problem? They got a sort of quite ugly and weird looking dog. 
If it had been if it had been like a Bernese mountain dog or something, it would have been fine. It would have been great. It it would have been a perfect like follow up to like Turner and Hooch. Oh, Turner and Hoochinski. This shit writes itself. <laughs> <laughs> Could we get away with talking about Turner and Hooch? Is there a romantic subplot? No, no. I have to save that for my um, eventual dog films podcast. <laughs> that I'm gonna do. Oh, mate, get me involved in that. Yeah, I, I want to sure. talk. I want to talk about dog films. There are two. Well, there are there are so many. It's unbelievable. Um, even just now, looking, I'm looking up Turner and Hooch on the Google and down there, dog movies. Uh, some of them, K9, seen that. K911, have not seen that. Year Ooh. of the Dog, no idea. A Dog's Purpose, I've heard um, mixed reports on that. They talked about it on the Flop House and it was very funny. We Think the World of You, I've never even heard of this one. Let's see, 1988, oh, came out the year we were born. So that's good. We Think the World of You is a 1988 film directed by Colin Gregg, starring Gary Oldman and Alan Bates, adapted from the J.R. Ackley novel of the same name. In post-war London... Wow, okay, this is this is really something. I ha- can't believe I've never heard of this. In post-war London, aimless young married bisexual Johnny is sent to prison. He is forced to entrust his beloved Alsatian Evie to the reluctant care of his downtrodden parents and older middle-class former lover and best friend Frank. Frank bonding with the dog, etc. Yeah, this looks really interesting. That sounds quite cool, actually. I'm actually, I'm genuinely going to add that to the list of films to, for us to talk about in the future. Um, anyway, now I'm not going to go down the dog films hole anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not want to talk about Hatchie a Dog's Tale? Oh, I've never seen it. It looks like it. It looks too sad. It looks like it looks like a weeper. It does, but the the the. The only thing I know about it is just that it's got Richard Gere in it and that the the, the um, poster is just the funniest thing in the world just because of the look <laughs> it, on his face. It is. It's a very po-faced poster, isn't it? I love Actually, it. I'm, I'm going to look it up now. Archie. You know an underrated dog movie? Um, Air Bud, Seventh Inning Fetch. <laughs> well, possibly. I have not seen that. It. That's the baseball one. Because... <laughs> Of the Airbud films, he's there's one for p- pretty much every sport you can think of. There's an Airbud film in which said dog um, saves a downtrodden team by somehow coming in and being really good at that sport, even though he's a dog and obviously makes the winning play, and also helps his teenage owner to get a girlfriend or whatever. What was the second one? Was it because the first one is obviously he plays basketball? Was it football yeah. after that? Was it American football? I don't know. The baseball one is quite far into the Airbud canon. <laughs> I seem to remember the a picture of Airbud wearing like like football pads, but I don't know whether this is just some kind of fever dream. Um, no, no, that's definitely real. Um, the, let's see, Airbud series. Uh, okay, yeah, number two. Yep, yeah, number two is football. Number one is Airbud. Yep. Number two is Airbud Golden Receiver. <laughs> <laughs> Number three is Airbud World Pup. So that's where he plays proper football. Yeah, it's foot, proper foot sport. Um, and number four is the baseball one, seventh inning fetch. I thought it was further along than that. Um, is there just five four? Is oh, there's five. Airbud spikes back, buddy tackles volleyball. Oh, so okay. there's five. But then you got Air Buddies. So it's all the all the puppies doing their thing, of which there are eight. <laughs> no, ten. 
I think it's Santa Santa Paws and Santa Paws Two, the Santa Pups. That that's incredible. Um, I don't. I didn't realize there was that many movies in in Airbud Canon. In the, yeah. In so the, if we were to do a dog a dog film podcast, in we the, could lit, literally spend over twenty episodes just discussing the Airbud franchise. The the uh, Airbud cinematic universe. I think we should refer to it as. <laughs> yeah, the ABCU. <laughs> Um, the the movie that I was going to say about an underrated dog film is Best in Show oh man that is is such an incredible film yeah which is great that would be in my top 5 probably Best in Show of of all time I love it that much so good of all time yeah that's amazing with um, Christopher Guest in the truck going Arlen Pepper you stop naming nuts (laughs) Macadamia nut, peanut, hazelnut. <laughs> I could do this just for the rest of the episode, but there aren't. There isn't much dog action in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but there was enough to enable us to talk about dogs for quite some time. So that's that's got to be a good thing. That's all right. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. Going back to the movie, yeah, you're right. Everything that's kind of like a fictional thing works really well. So Russell Brand's band as well is is just like a band that you could imagine being real infant sorrow <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and yeah, the, yeah, yeah that the joke song where he's singing about being inside of her that's very yeah that's very kind of trying to promote your film by having a joke song that people are going to be singing in the same way that people quote anchorman it's definitely trying to push those same buttons but it's it's yeah it's very funny and yeah, what do you think of Russell Brand in general in this film? He, oh, I thought, I thought you meant in general, like uh, as a guy, because he's like he's a fascinating guy. I think he's done a lot of very very stupid things, but I think people are very very quick to pile on to him and to to drag him down. When I think, even though he's done some stupid things and seems to be unable to keep his penis in his pants, he his heart is in the right place. And he is an eloquent and educated and passionate person. And those are good things. But at the same time, he covered a lot of very, very interesting stuff in his YouTube series, The Trues. But it had this hilarious like theme tune that just made me laugh every time and I couldn't get past it. Have you ever watched it? <laughs> no, I didn't. No. I, it's like, news is a tune that is abused to fool you. Let's have some truths, and then he'd come on. It was, it was not dissimilar to to Prison Planet guy, but he doesn't have any music. What do you, what music do you reckon he'd have? Oh God, I don't know. Something that's willfully offensive and stupid. Because he's um, he's um, he he's often complained about like. Popular stuff is rubbish. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. He probably only listens to like fucking Glenn Miller or something. I don't know. <laughs> that's actually no. That's unfair to Glenn Miller. I like Glenn Miller, and I also I reckon Glenn Miller's still alive because you know he disappeared over the Bermuda Triangle. Oh really? Yeah. This oh. is my conspiracy theory. Do <laughs> <laughs> you reckon he's still? Yeah. As Prison Planet would say, let that sink in. 
<laughs> he'd also say brain force plus is great yeah we've talked about him quite a lot in this episode we haven't even mentioned brain force plus so in all of his videos he comes on and spouts some willfully offensive right-wing garbage about misunderstanding censorship or whatever and then spends the whole time advertising alex jones's weird brain powder that's probably just like bits of crushed up iron iron filings with some cocaine cut cut into it (laughs) it's brilliant isn't it yeah um, so yeah, Russell Brand in this film I think is very, very good because, like I said, he is playing himself and himself is a sort of um, arrogant, womanizing character. Um, and I, although, but he does do it with self-awareness. That's the thing. You feel like if you if you've been asked to take on this role in a film and you know it's playing on elements of your personality, if you don't do it with self-awareness. I don't know, someone like Tommy Wiseau could have pulled it off, but like, the fact that he does it with self-awareness brings a sort of another layer to it that does make it very, very funny. And you can tell he's enjoying himself as well, which I think really makes it an engaging performance. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, at the time, it was really the height of his popularity, wasn't it? This is about. This is a couple of years after my bookie work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is sort of like his his. Uh, yeah, I because I, 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 by the time the sequel came out, he kind of had reached his peak, I suppose, in terms of his overall popularity. The sequel being get him to the Greek. Yeah, so it's kind of like a spin-off sequel type thing, isn't it? Which I have not seen. Have you? No, no, I didn't hear great things about it, so I kind of avoided it. It looks bad. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't look the greatest. <laughs> uh, it looks like Russell Brand and Jonah Hill punching each other and shouting at each other and lots of hysterical yelling. Yeah. I like Jonah Hill. I think he's he's an interesting guy who's done he's been in quite a few quite a wide range of roles. He's very interesting um What's the one? Is it Moneyball, where he plays the the analyst character? Yeah, yeah, it's Moneyball. That's right. Yeah, I know. Assistant, the assistant GM. Yeah, that's right. Um, I enjoyed that. I haven't read the book, even though I'm a big. I'm obviously a big baseball guy. I'll get round to it. It's kind of a big book, so I've been. I when I read baseball books, I try and go a little bit more obscure, but. Um, Jonah Hill's performance in that I thought was very very good, um, but it, in but I do worry that he has a tendency to be a little bit silly and in getting to the Greek just looked silly. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I kind of avoided it because of that. I didn't feel like I needed it. Um, yeah, I did feel like I needed it as a kind of sequel to Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I feel yeah. like it's kind of its own separate thing. So I don't never felt the urge to watch it. The only sequel that we needed to Forgetting Sarah Marshall was obviously the Dracula Puppet Musical. And the fact that they made to Get Into the Greek <laughs> before they made the Dracula Puppet Musical is quite frankly an insult. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, but Russell Brand's character in this is good. And as he's he's kind of overtly British in a very caricature way, it does make quite a nice contrast to the Americanness of the rest of it and him being that British in Hawaii feels kind of incongruous and strange. I mean, I can't think of other films in which they, they depict 
caricaturish Britishness in that kind of setting, and that makes it quite funny as well. Yeah, yeah, I I, I totally agree um, in in that regard for sure. Let's see. I I wrote down quite a few of the lines that I that I found that I found funny. I can't remember this one came up. I've got it's a good looking dick, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> He's obviously got some anxiety about his penis. There's a lot of a lot of penis humour. Um, there's yeah. a, there's a line about rimming waiters. I think that's something to do with Russell Brand. How his character doesn't drink. And they said if he did have a drink, he'd be rimming the waiters. It's like any excuse to drop in, like just something funny and vulgar. It is quite vulgar, but you don't begrudge it really because you know, no, you're not going it, into it expecting anything. It's not a cruel level of vulgarity. It's kind of just the odd little tickle of vulgarity. Yeah. Somewhere, um, I think it's Paul Rudd's character who tries, who mangles a phrase and says, "I wonder if the carpet matches her pubes," which made me chuckle. Yeah, <laughs> that got a big laugh here. I'd <laughs> forgotten entirely about that line. Yeah. Let's see. What else is there to say? Really, I think I think that's all I really have to say about it. It's that it's just kind of quite. It's quite silly and funny and enjoyable, really. Yeah, and I, I think that's the best way to think about it is like it's it's a silly film, it's a fun film. It also occasionally has a little bit of heart to it, which is nice. Um but overall yeah, it's a good it's just a good film to watch, I think. And it does something a little bit different from what you're expecting. Yeah. It's an easy watch that um you know, it's interesting to see a lot of these actors who have gone on to very different things now and also Russell Brand um, doing their thing, you know, and it is also, I, I, I often go back to this, but it's pre, it's pre smartphone, isn't it? So there's internet, there's Facebook and stuff around the time of this film, but none of that seems to really have any influence on it. I mean, there are phone calls and there's Skype calls with him and his brother, who's played by Bill Hader, who's very funny. Um, but that's about it really. So the, the influence of, of social media is not on it. So it feels almost kind of, weirdly weirdly old and charming in that way do you think yeah and i think like the way that it's kind of separates itself out from from day-to-day society um through this kind of like travel to a new place it kind of gives it this timeless quality though um so it never feels sort of like overly quaint it kind of just feels like you get those kind of vague pangs of nostalgia when you went away somewhere entirely new and you had these opportunities to meet new people as well which I think definitely works in its favour. So it doesn't feel like it's particularly outdated, just sort of like different, I suppose. Yeah, it's, and I didn't use the word dated because it's not dated at all. It's it's relatively recent and it feels like all the stuff that could be happening now. But there's a there's certainly a charm to it, which I guess in trying to, in setting it mostly in Hawaii and then having that as a kind of getaway place and about trying to get away from things but then not being able to escape them and having to deal with them as the kind of overarching themes it really works in that way and that that brings gives it a kind of timeless quality yeah yeah definitely and yeah there's a lot of um a lot of bum jokes a lot of penis jokes 
I mean, you can't you can't do any better than a bum joke, can you? No. If your film doesn't have a bum joke, I don't want to know. <laughs> Let's see. What else have I written down? The um the the actual music of the Dracula musical stuff. It sounds just like you know, like Jim Steinman, you know, like Meatloaf stuff, and I think that's really like weirdly appropriate. Like the the kind of style of it. If you tried to go a little bit more Lloyd Webber, Lay Miz, it might not have worked. You know, if you got him doing do the do you hear the people sing? It might, it might have been a bit too much. <laughs> yeah, it, it works really well because it's got that. It's still got that kind of hamminess to it, um, and that kind of charm to it, without it being like an overblown production. Um, so it's got that kind of intensity, uh, without it being overbearing, I suppose. So it's got that real charm. Yeah. Uh, there was one line from the fake crime scene show which really made me chuckle which is that they're talking about someone who's been murdered and I think it's Billy Baldwin who says I think it's going to be hard for her to enter a pageant without a face <laughs> yep and it's a, it's a really good send up of those kind of stupid um, procedural crime shows yeah um, and yeah, it's, it really it's well. sending it's sending up a lot um, you know it's sending up them it's sending up the hippie people it's sending up pretentious british indie musicians like russell brand um so overall the reason it works i think is that it's able to laugh at itself you feel like all of the characters are in good humor and in good faith so you excuse a bit of vulgarity because it laughs at itself yeah yeah exactly um it, it it's a very light-hearted film in that regard it's not overly vicious at all um, which is kind of what you want out of this kind of movie. Um, it's got a nice message, um, and it would be a shame to sort of spoil it with being overly nasty. Yeah. No, it's it's not nasty at all. I'm I'm glad that it exists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's a nice film to watch, and I find that it's quite a comforting movie to watch as well. Yeah, definitely. You don't really have to pay lots of attention or get too emotionally invested in it. Just put it on. Let's have some chuckles. Live your best life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like Sam Neill on his pig farm. Like, like Sam Neill on his pig farm. Do you have any uh, any trivia for me? I do have a little bit of trivia. So they make this offhand joke during dinner one night about a movie um, where your mobile phone will kill you. And it's clearly oh, a yeah. bad film that that Sarah Marshall has been in. And I believe that's a, a cute little nod to a movie that Kristen Bell did called Pulse, which is a remake yeah. of, a, of an Asian horror movie where there's this weird kind of um, supernatural being that is passed on through cell phone signals, effectively, and through through, mu- right. through radio signals and stuff like that. And the original film is quite effective, the the, the the remake did not do very well uh, critically <laughs> shall we say um so i like uh, so i think that's probably a little a little joke at her expense it's another example of of it sort of poking fun at itself and po- and the the various different people in the film being able to poke fun at themselves as well yeah that's good and it's it's definitely it's forcing the actors and actresses on that kind of vaguely metatextual level to to laugh at themselves as well as their characters having to do it as well. Yeah, that's that's clever in a, a kind of small and subtle way. I like that. Yeah, 
Um, but yeah, so that that was it. That was the one thing that I thought was interesting when I was watching it. I was like, oh yeah, that's quite fun. I did think that that sounded like a familiar plot of a film, but I couldn't think if maybe that was just something that someone had done in a dumb horror film since then. Um, no, it was something that happened just before then. <laughs> yeah, or whether that predicted Black Mirror. Ooh, boop, boop, boop. You mean you mean technology's bad, but technology's good. Yeah. You are the technology. <laughs> the mobile phone was inside you all the time. <laughs> what if, get this, Wi-Fi is out to kill you. Black Mirror Season 7. <laughs> maybe maybe the real Wi-Fi was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> maybe the real I, killer toaster. But my, my, my idea of Black, of Black Mirror, uh, and, and I like the show, I do. I, I think it's a really, a really nice show. Not nice in, per se, but I think it's a, it's a really good gripping show. And it's nice to see mm. things that kind of point out the dangers of of technology in that kind of regard i think so, yeah, yeah we know we, yeah. Need, we need more stories like this it's an interesting ground to cover from a horror perspective and from a dystopian perspective but like i'm just waiting for the episode where it's like the killer house out of the simpsons that's voiced by pierce brosnan <laughs> where like the toaster's <laughs> trying to kill you like yeah. you, you see the coffee maker come at you with a knife and be like i'm gonna cut you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i haven't seen any of the new series but black mirror i'll get around to it soon i'm sure but um all of the previous ones i've liked and enjoyed i think some episodes are stronger than others mm. purely because of, yeah some are just stronger and better concepts obviously the one where um it's the woman who's trying to social climb and everyone has their rating displayed right there and you're rating people as you go that was the one that kind of chilled me the most as well as the the one where there's like a, a teenage boy and an older man who are getting threatening text messages telling them to do stuff and then it ends up being the, this sort of weird murder heist thing between them and they sort of weirdly bond. I thought that one was strangely tender. But yeah, overall, it's a generally pretty good show. Yeah, and it, and it, I mean, quite a lot of the horror stories you have over the tech industry at the moment kind of feels like it's Black Mirror anyway, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, the The way that sort of like tech companies and social media companies are able to deliberately manipulate people's emotions and things like that it's all very scary like the fact that my toaster has to download a firmware update <laughs> yeah i'm pleased to say i don't have any smart technology in my house because i think it's fucking stupid like... no i don't i don't either have you seen that that twitter account internet of shit yeah yeah it's one of my yeah. favorite twitter accounts yeah. Um, where like you see like someone can't use their oven because it needs to install an update and that kind of stuff and it's like what to why why would you need a Wi-Fi connected oven yeah it's very it's very bad technology is bad don't do it but also technology is good so do because do it. there's podcasts yeah the only good technology is podcasts everything else is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Podcasts and film cameras to make films. Yes. And maybe CGI. Some CGI. A yeah. Little bit. A little bit of CGI. So so do you have a rating system for forgetting Sarah Marshall? Ooh. Good question. How many times in your version of the Dracula musical does Dracula sing the word die over and over again? When he's singing his, his love song to Van Helsing. That's very good. Um, I'm going to say... Die, die, die. <laughs> I'm going I to say... I want to suck. 
Your blood. Sixteen. Like in the vampire voice. Sixteen out of twenty. Sixteen die repetitions. Nice. I was yeah. I was going to go in with a fifteen, maybe just slight, slightly lower, because yeah, it's not maybe not as strong slash comforting for me. I enjoyed watching it, but I don't know that I would necessarily return to it over a lot of other films that are more kind of an easy watch not that i can think of any right now but 15 seems like a reasonable a reasonable amount to me but that's that's three quarters of the way there so it's still pretty good that's well over a bon jovi yeah well over a bon jovi like um i i find that like this movie um it's really good at getting the absurdity of um how it feels to be struggling with a difficult breakup um really really well um, and so I feel like it's a really and and that kind of situation is very rarely accurately portrayed in movies and no and very rarely mm. like hilariously portrayed in movies. It's often done in a really cliched and stupid manner. Um, so I think like this this movie definitely deserves respect for the way that it manages to portray that, and also for the sheer level of stupid jokes that it throws out continually. Yeah, it's really it's really funny, really funny. Film. Break up breakups are rarely explored or getting over someone is rarely properly explored in film and to, yeah to be able to do that whilst having that mu- that mu- much kind of vulgar and puerile humor that still just about lands and is still quite funny yeah it's it's an achievement well done to jason siegel yeah well done mate we like you he's earned it yes definitely yeah so, do you have uh, do you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, I don't think so. No, no. I think that was that was everything. I just wanted to talk about Radiohead again because they're they're in the news for this lo- this lawsuit with Lana Del Rey, and each there's a there's a bit of kind of Trumpian fake news going on, or a bit of they they all seem to be issuing contradictory statements, so we don't really know who to believe. But from what Lana Del Rey says. Um, there's a song on her new album that I've listened to that has, yes, the same chord progressions as Creep by Radiohead. Um, but the lyrics are different, the melody is different, the instrumentation Ooh, Paddy, is no, very no, different. no, the melody is I, not different. It's not the same. It's it's the same as a bit of Creep later on that uses the same chord progressions. So although it's not, I'm a creep, I'm a widow, it uses something from later on in the song. So it, it, it's it, similar. It is a very it's similar. It's a real knockoff. A real knockoff. I mean, I, 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 I find the whole situation hilarious because obviously Radiohead, they don't own all the rights to Creep, do they? Because it was so influenced by the Hollies that they have right. part of the ownership rights of Creep. Unless I'm confused. That I did not know. Yeah. So I don't think that Radiohead have the entire writing credits on Creep. That's that that adds a whole other a whole other layer to this stinking onion, but basically, well, I would say that Lana Del Rey's song that I listened to once sounds forty percent like Creep, so it's appropriate there therefore that she offered to give them forty percent of the royalties or forty percent of the credits or however it works. But apparently, maybe it's not Radiohead, maybe it's their record company. They're saying they want a hundred percent of the credit, which just seems greedy and stupid and up themselves and conforms to my vision of radiohead as completely up themselves but then radiohead have come out and said that they don't want 100 percent. yeah so i don't know what to believe man 
I don't think that Radiohead would lie about something like that because they're generally quite open. Like their comments no. about, for instance, Spotify. They've got no problem of saying, we deserve money and being quite yeah. blunt about when they think they deserve money. So I imagine that maybe Lana Del Rey, who's the person who said that she committed a wit- like witchcraft to try and get rid of Donald Trump, um, <laughs> might not be the person to believe in this situation. As much as I love her, I love Lana Del Rey. I think her album was yeah. one of, maybe not one of my favourites of last year, but I did listen to it quite a lot. Um, it's I've yeah. come round to her, having expressed disdain for her music and her sort of, her creepy voice in the past, I have started to come around to her and quite like some of her stuff. And she seems like quite an interesting person. Yeah, I, I like her and I like her music. Um, but, but why I, isn't the witchcraft working? Because she didn't do it. Or maybe witchcraft isn't real. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. Just a, just a theoretical. Um, but yeah, like, I'm more... Fake news. given Given how upfront Radiohead are about wanting money for stuff i'm inclined to probably believe them more over her in this situation but i guess we'll find out either way when it all gets settled because i imagine it will get settled out of court quite simply i hope so but i mean when you compare it to some of the other cases that have gone to court which have gone in the favor of uh a previous writer um so like the tom petty case against sam smith or um, the case against that horrible bastard song by that creepy guy, Robin uh, Thick. Yes, um, yeah. I think the the estate of Marvin Gaye. Yeah, I think Radiohead have more of a case than either of those two, for instance. Yeah, I Robin definitely... Robin Thick. No, 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 no way. Like I think I feel like Marvin Gaye's family are notoriously litigious, but it genuinely sounds like Robin Robin Thick's song seems like a genuine ripoff. But maybe it's just because we think of Robin Thicke as such a sleazy bastard that he seems like the kind of person who would just rip off a song. But maybe that's a separate issue. But anyway, what I was going to say is that I think we need to appoint Robin Thicke as the the official official musician of Trash Island, the official soundtracker <laughs> of Trash Island. I can get behind that. You land at Trash Island Airport and immediately he's there. Blurred lines. Yeah, I'm game. Yeah. That song was on the um, the band list at my wedding, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you've got to. Because, I mean, it's vaguely popular. So even though it's been a few years since its release, it would probably creep on. Much like it robbing still happen. thick creeps into situations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is a big creep. He is a creep and a weirdo. What the hell is he doing here? <laughs> well, he doesn't belong what here. What the hell is he doing here? Get out of my house, Robin Thick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that was coming, but I still really enjoyed it. <laughs> Not Robin Thicke coming into my house. No. He he won't leave. I think... He's my infinite guest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. So, I still think Radiohead suck. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Uh, so it's um it's my choice next we uh we were previously we were talking on the last episode i think it was about richard linklater so i think that the time has come but do you want old or new linklater that's your choice your binary choice Mm. let's go old it's been a while since you watched an old film yeah well i say i say old it's 95 but 
that's older odd. than the other one I was thinking of. So we're going to do Before Sunrise because oh, cool. it seems like you have opinions on it. I I think that I like it, but I haven't seen it in some time, and it's it's kind of a big deal. So yeah, I think it's time. Sweet. Nice. So as always, you can write to us bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com send us any pictures on twitter if you have them like friend of the podcast adam molesky who's pointed out that um current film in the cinema's three billboards outside ebbing missouri sounds like a sequel to the bridges of madison county (laughs) (laughs) which i I wish it was it would put a very haunting slant on exactly what clint eastwood was doing traveling around the country on his own Um, yeah it would yeah that would not be as romantic given the subject matter of the of the sequel. No. I've also remembered that, you know Gary Larson, the cartoonist? Yes, yeah. Um, I, it finally clicked, I think, about last week. That there's um, In one of his Far Side books that I had when I was a kid, there's a, a picture of like a, a valley and lots of like fridges just sitting on the on the side of the valley and it was captioned the fridges of Madison County. And I never, I had no idea what that meant, but it was such a weird and abstract thing that it made me laugh anyway, because that was kind of the power of Gary Larson's cartooning. But yeah, yeah, when that finally clicked for me, I was like, yeah, man, Bridges Madison County. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love that reference. And that's your your Bridges of Madison County update. There has to be one in every episode. Yeah, we need one. That's cool. And I'm still working on our, um, our scoreboard as well so i've been listening back to all the old episodes to to add up the scores uh, oh cool. but i haven't got there yet so i'll confirm the charts in the next episode hopefully oh excellent cool all right well that's going to do it for us email us at big boys don't cry podcast at gmail.com tweet us at big boys don't pod and live your best life live your best life and we'll be back next week to talk about before sunrise oh yeah By which I mean Airbud World Pup. (laughs) I'm gonna come up to the to the podcast and be like, you know, I haven't seen that movie in a while, but I didn't remember there being a a dog that played sports consistently in it. (laughs) Yeah. Ethan Hawke really, really managed to get into the character of the dog. (laughs) Despite being called Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Should have been called Ethan Hound. Ethan Hound. That sounds like a forgotten cartoon from the early 80s. (laughs) It does. It does. I'm going to go away and and make that happen. Yes, do it. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll, We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.